Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. We finished our Advent series, um, and then we're, next week we're going to launch into a series on leadership, um, spiritual leadership in the church, and there's a, um, as we talk about reconfiguring leadership in our church, what does that look like, what does the Bible say about leadership, we're going to get into that next week, so I've had the task and the challenge and the joy of what do you preach on one time? You know, a series, in some ways they're easier because you kind of know where you're going, you can be thinking about sermon weeks in advance, but a one-off sermon is sometimes tough. What should I preach on? Sometimes it feels like more pressure. You know, what do I do one single sermon on? So I've spent the last, I don't know, two, three weeks thinking about this. What will I preach on? And, and it wasn't even so much, what do I preach on the first sermon of the year? I mean, I had a few of those thoughts, but it wasn't really that. It was just like, okay, what, God, what would you have me say to our church? What do we need to hear in a one message? I know what you want us to, to, to you know, I've got some things, themes that we're working on for later in the year, but this one message, and then I, you know, I still don't know. I'm still like wondering, oh, here's an idea, here's a thought, and I'm still trying to figure this out. And then even, I don't know, four or five days ago, Dave, our office manager, sends me a text. He's like, so what's the title? If you look in your bulletins, go ahead and do that. What's the title for today's message? Some of you already, (laughs) this message. I'm like, sorry, guy, I got nothing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I didn't know what the title would be. I wasn't sure what the topic was. And then I figured it out, spent all this time listening. I think we need to be reminded to listen to God. Reminded, because we know this. This isn't something we don't know. And it was something I was practicing. I was doing everything. How do I listen to God? I'm looking to scripture, listening to people, spending time in prayer, doing all these things that are going to pop out of this message to listen to God. And it came to me. What Actually, and it was a thing that you want to do at the start of a decade. What's the most important thing? You've got to listen to God. That's what we got to do. In fact, that's my job as a pastor is to tell you, listen to God. All right? Happy to do that. I found in, in James, you know the uh, verse, it's James, where is it here? James 1.19, it, t- it talks about um, we should all be quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I usually focus on the anger part because I'm like, oh, I'm getting angry. I need to be, and then you kind of work your way backwards. But I wanted us to just briefly look at that passage um, with the focus on listening to hearing. And the passage, it starts like this, James 1.19, this you know, my beloved brothers and sisters. So it's a reminder. You already know this stuff, everybody, brothers and sisters, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if you're like me, you look back at the holidays, which are really awesome. I love the holidays, but there tends to be a lot more pressure, a lot more activity. And I find that um, I tend to be, at, at times, speaking fast, loud, and even angry. So we can get off track sometimes in the holidays. You know, we just, we just aren't doing that slow to speak, you know, slow to become angry and quick to listen. But I'd like our focus to be on listening, and, and, and more specifically, our focus to be on listening to God. Because I think if we listen to God, we probably will be slow to speak and slow to become angry, amongst many, many other things. 
So what I'm going to do, um, when it comes to listening to God, um, tough to listen to God, just, just your thought right off the top of your head. I remember talking with my kids when they are really literal. They're, they're like, I can't see God. How does this work? How, how do you, you, you know, so we talked quite a bit about that. It's not as simple as talking to a person. You walk up to them, you can see their expression on their face, you can ask them a question, and they'll usually speak right back to you. And it's a pretty simple interaction. When it comes to listening to God, it's not as simple. And that's just the reality that we're in. And then the other thing about listening to God is these three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do this morning, pretty simple, I'm going to talk about listening to God, talk God the Father, listening to um, God the Son, and listening to God the Holy Spirit. And the frustration of a message like this, this could be a whole year. And I'm going to cover those three persons, you know, in one little message. And it's just to, my, my goal is to remind us and to spark us to doing that, not to necessarily teach a full theology class where we get every, you know, dot every I and cross every T. So God is three persons, and each person, um, they, overlap, they overlap and interact, so it's not as cut and dry as we'd like to think it would be. Um, but I, well, we're going to focus on listening to the Father. What does that look like? Listening to the Son and listening to the Spirit. So listening to God the Father, actually the best way to listen to God the Father is look at the Son. So, but I'm going to talk about the Son next. So that aside, if you really want to listen to God the Father, just look at the Son because he's the best representation of who the Father is. So that being said, the other way to really know the Father is through Scripture because there's all kinds of stories about him. He interacts with people. Um, there's lots of clues to who he is and what he's like. He reveals himself in Scripture. And Scripture is really the unfolding revelation of who God the Father is. And instead of going on and on about that, I wanted to show us a video, one of those Bible Project videos. And it talks about how we interact with Scripture. And I want you to think about, oh, this is how I can learn more, how I can listen to God the Father through Scripture. And then I'll talk a little bit about that after the video. So let's go ahead and, and watch this video and see if we can learn something about listening. So the Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. 
intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether, it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay, meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry and discourse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. How'd you like that? To me, it's kind of a relief because so much of the Bible, and I've studied the Bible for a long time and been in seminary, I'm like, I don't understand this, right? And then you, you talk with people or you study it more. And I remember we went through the book of Isaiah. As one of the, I, I surveyed the congregation. What do you want me to preach on? Isaiah. That's a tough book. But the more we studied, the more we talked, and the more we, oh my gosh, this makes sense. And then the New Testament makes sense more and more and more. And God, in his brilliance, in his genius, has given us the Bible so that we need to be dependent on him and interact with others to know him better, to listen better. In fact, I see you right there, Eric. Raise your hand, Eric. Eric's going to be teaching a class starting next week on Revelation. Ooh, that's an easy book. Can you imagine if you had to teach Revelations without the rest of the Bible? He wouldn't do it, right? Or on your own without any help from anybody else? It would be too difficult. But we don't avoid it. We say, let's dive into this thing and wrestle with it and see if we can learn more because we want to listen to God. We want to learn from God. And so we're going to do that starting. That's a little commercial for you. I hadn't planned on that. But it's going to be a great class during the equipping hour. We're going to do this very thing where we dig into Scripture and we see, um, we wanna, ultimately, we want to listen to God. God, what is it that you're saying to us? 
And then how do we understand this? We're wrestling. It's a dynamic process that won't just be, oh, I understand everything completely. It's a process because God created us not just so that we'd have the answer and then we could leave him. He created us so that we'd be dependent and interacting with him. That's brilliant. It's genius. And yet we mostly, I would say, probably ultimately in our sin nature, we just want to be independent. Give me what I want and then I don't need you anymore. That's not a relationship and that's not how he's designed us. I love that God, has, and the more I study Scripture, and, and talk to anybody that studied Scripture over a lifetime, they aren't more and more bored. They're more and more excited. They, they learn more and like, oh my gosh, did you see this? I didn't even know that was a question. <laughs> but that's the brilliance of God and the love of God to give us His Word to discover who He is. Listen to the Father. Then it comes to listening to the Son. And here's where I want us to dive into a passage a little bit is we're going to look at the transfiguration. Um, because I think, um, well, first of all, and I didn't really, I guess I hadn't thought of it, the most important, um, I guess, points in Jesus' life, his birth, that's, that's really a big deal in Scripture, and then his, the Passion Week, his death and resurrection. But right behind that is the transfiguration, like the biggest events. This is a big, big deal. So what's going on? in the transfiguration. If you want to, I'd love for you to turn in your pew Bibles to Matthew 17. I'm going to read a few verses from there. Um, But let me give you some context. Matthew 17, it's on page 1045 in your pew Bibles. I'd mentioned at the start of this, listening to God, um, that if you want to know who God the Father is, look at Jesus the Son. And Jesus says, hey, you can't know the Father except through me. And then the Father here, is going to, he's going to say it in this passage, say, hey, this is my Son, listen to him, right? They're going back and forth. And then it gets even more when the Spirit, you know, is like, look to Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm going to send my Spirit, listen to the Spirit. They're having fun together with us. After studying this passage a bit, it's kind of like a little bit of frustration with these three topics of listening to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is so much in this passage of the transfiguration. There's so much that's, being, um, that's looking back to how God interacted with Moses and Elijah. So many themes biblically that pop up in this short little interaction, and so many things are said. I'm only going to pull out a few, but I'm tempted to go on and on about so much that, that, that there's in there. But I want us to get these key things when it comes to listening to the sun that pop out in the transfiguration. So context is, Jesus, um, if you look at just right before, so if you're in chapter 17, um, there's a piece in there where Peter, you know, Jesus says, who do you think that I, who do you, who am I? And they say, oh, people say this, people say this. Well, who do you say? You're the Messiah. And that's a huge highlight because the disciples, and, and Jesus even says, hey, this is revealed to you by God, but basically, this is who Jesus is. You're God. Right? You've come to rescue us. You are God. That's a super, it's a summit. It's a highlight. And then just right after that, Jesus starts talking um, about his death and resurrection. And of course, the disciples are like, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, Peter, right after that, says, there's no way that's going to happen. And, he was, and, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're an adversary. You're blocking the thing that I came to do. And my main role is to die for you. And so that's what's happening right before this transfiguration. And I didn't realize this, but Jesus then takes, um, 
He takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a high mountain. Most scholars will say it's Mount Hermon, the biggest mountain in the region. So Jesus is going away for a retreat, a spiritual retreat to pray. I just kind of thought he went up there and then this thing happened. But he purposely went up there because right after that, after this, and I'll go into a little bit what happens there, but right after that, Jesus again references, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise again. So he's saying this is what the big deal is. And so uh, many scholars, and, and it makes sense to me, believe that Jesus went up to this mountain to say, God, this is what you've called me to do, right? I, I, I'm here, suffering servant, um, be given up to die, to be sacrificed, take the sins of the world upon me, and then defeat death and rise again. He's, he's going up to pray and confirm his role, right? So, so he's going away. That's what's going to happen in the transfiguration. In fact, it does actually happen in there. That's probably why we know part of the purpose. But Jesus regularly got away to pray, to listen to the Father. And it makes sense as he's going to, you know, okay, now I'm going to go die, that he would go be with the Father, just if nothing else, for encouragement and affirmation. So let's read um, what actually specific happens in the transfiguration, starting at chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, so this, these great things happen, Jesus, you're the Messiah, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. What is that about? Okay, remember when Moses met with God, he got all glowy also, right? And what's going on here is, um, if you really study the transfiguration, it makes sense here. Jesus is revealing, uh, probably the simplest way to say it is Jesus is being himself. See, by becoming a, a human, he's kind of cloaking himself. He's, not, he's, he's, he's laying aside some of his you know, deity because we couldn't handle it, right? He's, he's, he's humbled himself. He's lowered himself to become a human, a man. And so when he's on the transfiguration, he's in my, this is my you know, crass way of saying it. He's like, oh, I'm going to be myself because he's God. And he just starts, oh, you know, he's being himself and he's being with God. He's transfigured. And then verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. What were they saying? Well, if you, this, this account is, um, is it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke says that they were talking to Jesus, Elijah and Moses. They were talking to him about his exodus. That's the word in there. It's a the Greek word. His leaving Jerusalem. And they weren't talking about going and visiting Jerusalem and then going somewhere else, about his leaving, his dying. They're talking, you know, so imagine this, that Jesus is being himself with God. He's, he's, you know, experiencing some of his deity. And God sends Moses and Elijah to encourage him and say, yep, you're on track. You're going to go um, exit. There's an exodus. You know, Moses led an exodus and Jesus leading an exodus out of our sin into the promised land of eternal relationship with him. It's a whole bigger way. You know, a lot of stuff in the Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. So this is, what, this is a big, big deal of what's going on. So um, Jesus is transfigured. He's with Moses and Elijah. They're encouraging him and, and talking to him about his exodus. And then Peter does a couple goofy things because he's a doer. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here and one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud. So, so Peter's making all these plans and God's like, okay, I just need to cut in here. This guy's off track. He's missing it. <laughs> Poor Peter. 
And God says, God the Father, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's my beloved son. So Jesus is affirmed. I'm well pleased. Jesus is on track. You're doing everything I've talked to you about. You're right on track. That's got to feel good as Jesus. I'm doing what my father wants. He loves me. I'm on track. And then God gives a command to those three around him, listen to him. And specifically to Peter, it's kind of funny, stop talking and just listen. Listen to him. A scholar said this, listen must be given its full sense of obedience. The only true listening known in the Bible is obedient listening. You can look at James 1, 22 to 24, where it says, don't just be hearers, but be doers as well. Calvin rightly points out that when God enjoins us to hear him, he appoints him to be the supreme and only teacher of his church. It was his design to distinguish Christ from all the rest, as we truly and strictly infer from these words, that by the nature he was God's only son. This uniqueness of Christ is highlighted by the fact, and it's talking about the transfiguration, that suddenly, as suddenly as they had appeared, Moses and Elijah, they were gone. And the three disciples no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And that's what we go on to read is, is he was still speaking to them. A, brow, a loud voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And then the next verses, 9 to 13, Jesus is kind of explaining what's happening. They had questions about Elijah, and that was John the Baptist. And he's, he's really saying, hey, this is what just happened. Here's what's going on. And, and then, you know, here's where he's, he's headed. This is my son. Listen to him. God met with Jesus. God affirmed him and encouraged him and even blessed the disciples too. So our call, and I'll get into this a little bit later, is to follow Jesus' example. Jesus made the effort to go away, actually in this case, to go up to a high mountain to meet with God, and God met him. So our call is to listen to Jesus' words, which we have a great record of, and we have a great record of his life. Part of listening is just watching what he did with his life. Listen to the Father, listen to the Son, and listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, the instant that you believe, the instant that you believe and trust Christ as your Savior, trust Him as your great high priest, the, the, the being who can and will, <clears throat> upon receiving His invitation, restore the connection with you and God. The instant we believe that, God Himself, by His Spirit, dwells within you. Spirit is in you. God. God with us, Emmanuel. That's why Jesus said, it's good that I'm here, but it's better that I send the Spirit right? Now the Spirit speaks softly. The Spirit impresses things upon our hearts. The Spirit teaches us, guides us, convicts us, disciplines us, comforts us, affirms us, rebukes us, empowers us. I'm tempted to teach a whole, I could actually have each of you come up here and tell us something that the Spirit has said to you, done for you, shown you. And we would be here for a long time. The Spirit is very active. I wish I could tell the Spirit to speak when I want Him to speak. I can't because He's God. But He does speak. And He will speak. He will impress. He'll do all of those things. Scripture is loaded 
with how the, sp- the Spirit comes alongside of us, lifts us up, carries us, on and on. We also can quench the Spirit. God doesn't force Himself upon us. He invites us and warns us so many times, don't quench the Spirit, don't turn away, but turn to. Listen. What I liked best about that video, um, amongst many things, those are such good videos, but it really gave a good picture of following God, or specifically a great picture of reading Scripture, studying Scripture as an adventure. Like kind of almost like a treasure hunt, or a game of hide and seek, that, that God is, you know, enjoying with us with kind of like a smirk on his face. Oh, I can't wait till they read this chapter. They're going to see this more about me. Or they're really struggling because I'm being silent for a long time. I'm going to wait them out. I hate that part of the game. <laughs> but following God, both the highs and lows, our mistakes and our successes, it takes practice. It takes, it takes initiative. I've listened to God and gotten him wrong. I think God's leading me this way, and then I get it wrong. It makes me frustrated, but, but don't give up. He's, he's, willing, he's willing to give us scripture I love that it had a line in there that's ambiguous enough in some senses for us to get it wrong. That's scary. What if people... Into, but he's given us a ton of scripture. He gives us his spirit and he gives us other people. He will help us get it right. But he's willing to let us even make mistakes so that there's relationship with him. I like that. It's like an adventure. Like when you go on a, an adventurous trip, there's highs and lows to it. Don't choose to stay home. If you get the opportunity to take a trip, take it. It doesn't always... I don't know if I've ever been on a trip that went just perfect, right? That's what life is like with God. It's ups and downs. That's the invitation. We, uh, we saw this passage pop up a few times in our Advent studies. Hebrews 11:6. Faith that pleases God. Real simple. Believe that He exists and believe that He rewards those who seek Him. See, God... God is God of the universe, and he's designed us, and he desires for us to have relationship with him. And relationship's a two-way deal. Share what's going on, share your thoughts, and listen. And listen's probably a bigger piece. He gave us two ears and one mouth. Do more listening than speaking. So specifically, I would encourage you, if it's enough for Jesus to take time and energy out to go hike up a mountain, do that. There's kind of two general ways that God meets with us. One, without our permission or our initiative, sometimes he just impresses himself upon us to speak to us or encourage us or challenge us. And the other kind is that we take the initiative. You've all taken the initiative to meet with God by coming here this morning. You said, you know what? I want to hear from God. I want to worship God. So just the act of coming to church is one of those ways of like climbing a mountain. I'm going to spend time seeking God. And I know for me, I didn't know what songs Joe was going to sing or play, but those, those couple songs, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a mess. I'm going to get up there and all, he's going to make me cry before I get up here to preach. Shame on you. <laughs> but I come to church not just to preach, but I come here to worship and be with God. And those songs are like, just you and Jesus, you know, just the two of you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what, that's what it's all about. That's, so that's us taking initiative to be with God. I would encourage you even to take it a step further or additional more and go for a walk or or. Hold yourself up in your bedroom and say, I'm going to just be quiet. 
There's things we can do like study scripture and pray. There's also things we can do because God's mysterious. You can just be quiet. You don't have to always be doing a task. Both of those are good things. So I'd encourage us to be silent with God, study scriptures, and in a sense, hike up a mountain because Jesus did. And God loves to meet with his people. He loves to meet with us. He does it every week. Now, I want to, uh, two things I want to do. I want to, I'm going to close for, um, by praying. We open by praying. I'm going to close by praying. I didn't warn them at all, and I don't even know if they're all here. But um, one of the things that our deacons do is listen to God. They're charged to do with that. I'll do, I'm going to do some teaching with them in February on that. So I, would just, I just thought, you know what? Why not have our deacons stand up? Um, and I would like to pray for them. And actually, we'll all be praying, but I'll lead them. So if you're a deacon now, and um, Rod, Linda, Aaron, Rob, Jennifer, and Corey, any of those that are here, stand up. It's at least one, a couple, three of you. And Corey popped in from the back. Look at that. Um, just a few of you around there, would you just um, put your hands on their shoulders as I lead us in prayer? And the rest of us, think of them in mind and pray for them because we want to pray that they would listen to God because they're some of the leaders in our church. Let's pray. God, we need this reminder to listen. I want to pray for our deacons now. Rod and Linda and Aaron and Rob and Jennifer and Corey that you would um, I know it's their desire that's why they were selected they love listening to you but we as a church uh, set them aside and ask that you'd um, you'd be free to speak with them that you'd be authoritative, you'd be clear you'd be gentle and kind and they would hear your voice Give them ears to listen to the congregation. That as we share our thoughts and concerns and our joys and our encouragement, that they would hear and hear your voice through people. And I pray also they'd listen to each other. There's something beautiful about a group, a room full of leaders, strong leaders, listening to one another, deferring to one another. Give this team your ears. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks. Um, and now I want to pray for each one of you in here. Um, I pray over you that, that you would, would be a good listener to God. Um, and then we'll go into communion. So similarly, as I just prayed for the deacons, I'd love to pray for each one of you. Um, sometimes when we do this, you put a posture of putting your hands out to receive this blessing from God. Lord, um, I think of when, uh, when I was a kid, I think of when I had kids, and telling my young kids, hey, listen, that's the sense I get, not in an overbearing way, but as you spoke to James and Peter and John, affirming Jesus, that you said, listen, you didn't suggest it, you commanded it. You commanded, command us to listen to you. It's the best thing we can do. It's a loving command. And you have your eyes on each person in this room and you love them and you have more than enough grace for each person may we feel free accepted excited to be before you even as we're humbled may each of us hear you clearly 
Grant us the wisdom to know when to search your scriptures, to be in conversation, and the wisdom to sit in the mystery of not understanding and not knowing. It's seemingly full of questions, as many are more than answers. And overall, Lord, as we look into this um, new year, would you guide our church? 2020 is a big year for our church, and we're expectant of you to do many great things. We only want to do what you want. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.